0: Is the VIP Late Lunch with Lee Sterry on the voice of Niagara, News Talk 610 CKTV. Well, good afternoon. It is Thursday. It's 106, and we are here with Legal Matters and Chris Richard of Graves and Richard, Niagara's largest personal injury law firm. Chris, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Uh, Just talking about off air. uh, We every now and then talk baseball stuff. We were just sort of lamenting the passing of of Roy Halliday.
1: Yeah, just uh, shocking. Uh, when it when I heard about it this week, and you know the, the real shame of it, he I mean he's the best pitcher I've had a chance to see live. He's uh, a, it in is a class life. act, that's for sure, and. Uh, you know, everybody I know that follow the Jays, it's it's pretty well accepted that he's, he's the best mm-hmm. pitcher the Jays ha- have ever produced. Uh, the interesting thing is, in his career, he was always known as being serious, and it was his work ethic. And he actually kind of intimidated a lot of his teammates with respect to how serious he was all the time. Mm-hmm. And then he retired, and... I st I was following him on Twitter after he retired. He got a Twitter account, and I don't think I've ever seen a ball player enjoy themselves so much uh, after retirement as he did. He I,
0: seemed really ready for retirement, didn't he?
1: Yeah, and he you know he was the complete opposite in retirement that he was as a player in that he was you know kind of always joking around, always had a smile on his face, uh he was coaching his kids in baseball. He, you know, was took up flying right after mm-hmm. uh, he retired, and uh, this plane. He says it was his dream to have this plane ever since he he retired, and uh, and just such a such a tragic end. I had an opportunity once. I met his uh, his wife and his oldest son at a charity function uh, with the Jays, and uh, and when you heard the news, the first thing I thought about was was what a loss to his yeah. family.
0: Yeah, ironic too that uh, apparently she was fighting his purchase of that plane the whole the whole way and she finally relented it's t- <laughs> too bad she didn't win the fight
1: yeah having uh, having w- followed her through the years and having met her i'm surprised she lost that fight <laughs> she, she was uh was pretty feisty and uh, and a uh, pretty uh terrific person in her own right yeah you know? uh
0: de- definitely a loss uh one of one of the nicer guys in sport that is for sure yeah um Okay, uh, we're on to something almost equally as uh, depressing in its own way, but informative. Uh, that massive pileup that recently uh, occurred on the 400 highway involving the the two big rigs and um, 12 other vehicles I- involved.
1: Yeah, so this happened uh, on Halloween, right? Uh, yeah. October 31st, and uh, we were talking about the accident a little bit in the office, just like everybody else was, seeing how terrible it was and, and how shocking the pictures were uh, that came out from that accident. And I thought there's actually some kind of interesting insurance issues and and civil liability issues that come specifically from uh, large pileups like that right. uh, that maybe we could, we could talk about okay. and, and explore. So uh, accidents like this are... Uh, different because of the seriousness of the injuries and in this case there were a number of fatalities and also the seriousness of the the damage and the scope of the accident Mm -hmm. so uh, they're investigated a little bit differently than you know if we have a fender bender on the side of the road uh which is why you know the highway is closed down for as long as it as it is Mm -hmm. because not only does there have to be cleanup. Um, and, I mean, certainly rescue the people in the immediate aftermath, but but then there has to be cleanup. But before there can even be cleanup, the police have to uh, figure out what went on, right? And they perform an investigation, so it's not simply the type of investigation they would do for what I would call your typical accident, where there's that loss of life, that scope of injury, and that scope of property damage. They're going to do a full accident reconstruction report. So that means taking measurements of where all the vehicles are, uh, taking pictures of everything, if there's physical evidence, so debris, damage. They're taking uh, pictures and measurements of all of that. And then what their job is to try and, uh, in addition to talking to witnesses, try and reconstruct exactly what happened. And as we've talked about on some pre- prior shows, sometimes they get that right, sometimes they don't get it right. And in a civil context, we usually check their work. They get it right most of the time, or almost yeah. all of the time,
0: but a big, big job when you've got something like something like this that happened.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's actually really interesting work in terms of the tools they use in order to try and figure, uh, it, figure out. it out. Figure it out, and it's uh, I mean, there's engineers that do just this uh, in terms of of their careers, and it's looking at forces applied and and in a, a pileup like this, especially with explosive material. I mean, very uh, kind of scientifically interesting to try and. Uh, figure out what happened and -hmm. and who was at fault so uh in terms of and and i have no special knowledge in this i'm uh, simply reading media reports like like anybody else so i'm not in any way involved in this particular case Um, but it appears in this case that the fault uh, at least partially uh rests with one of the uh, one of the transport trucks that were involved in it and that may or may not be true, but that's at least what the media. That's reports the are. That,
0: that's the assumption, uh, I believe, still at this point. Yeah, haven't heard anything to the contrary yet.
1: Yeah. So, uh, the police, even though now we're, uh, I guess, nine days or so away from the accident, uh, the police investigation is likely not completed. Uh, it takes quite a bit of time to, and with something this complex, uh, I would expect it might take as long as about six months to actually complete the investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at some point in time, that, that investigation will be completed, and the measurements they took, the pictures they took, uh, all of that will become key material for anyone in terms of uh, looking to bring forward a civil case for injuries sustained in the accident. So uh, here we had 14 cars, I think, in total involved in the collision. So each one of those uh, people involved in the collision... Uh, can potentially bring a claim for statutory accident benefits against their own auto insurer. And whenever I say statutory accident benefits, that's synonymous with the term no-fault benefits. Okay. okay. They are the same thing. Okay. Okay? Uh, and I know we, we've we talked about this a couple times before, but no-fault benefits is probably the worst term we could ever come up with.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, it is a bit of a misnomer. Yeah. Right.
1: Because in Ontario, we do have fault-based liability. We do have... Uh, the ability to sue, uh, all, all of those things exist. But what we have in addition to that is everybody that's involved in a car accident has the ability to uh, a certain schedule of benefits, regardless of whether they're at fault for the accident or not. And that's why they're called no-fault benefits. That's the reason they're called no-fault yeah. benefits.
0: Because those of, us, those of us lay people think when when we hear no fault, we think there's nobody to blame. That's, that's but, that right. is, but, but that is definitely not what it
1: means. That is definitely not what that means. It okay. means you get these benefits regardless of whether you caused the accident or were a victim of the accident. Mm-hmm. So uh, so each... The blame game comes later. Yeah, that's right. So each person involved in the accident, whether they're a driver, whether they're a ped- passenger, whether they were a pedestrian, uh, all of them have the right to make an accident benefit claim. Also, by the way, that includes people if... Uh, If a family member was deceased in the accident then their family members would also have a right to make their own claim for statutory accident benefits to pay for treatment uh, related to the accident, such as grief counseling, psychological counseling, okay. those types of things. Okay. So so the net of who's entitled to statutory accident benefits is actually quite wide.
0: Legal Matters with uh, Chris Richard, Niagara's largest personal injury law firm of Graves and Richard. We're reviewing some of the aspects of the cases that relates to Chris's area of expertise of that uh, horrific accident that happened on the 400 highway on on Halloween. We've covered uh, the investigation side of it. Try to uh, explain as best you can the, the no-fault benefit part of it, so everybody can, has the right to claim benefits uh, of their own insurer. That's right. So, so that's
1: all from their own insurer. Yeah. And of course, the types of things we're talking about would be income replacement benefits, so people are missing work, they get a percentage of their, 70% of their gross uh, income. Uh, back from their own insurance company, and then medical care, things like that. Okay. Okay. Uh, Next. The other type of accident benefit that applies here uh, in the case of the fatalities is there's a death benefit that's payable. So that would be uh, for a spouse, $25,000, and for uh, dependents, $10,000. Uh, for each dependent of the uh, of the deceased person in the accident, are those
0: are those mandatory and post caps amounts or whatever in the province?
1: That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's the basic coverage. Okay. Uh, in addition, there's funeral benefits, so expenses for funerals uh, up to I think it's six thousand dollars for basic benefits. So, uh, so for the unfortunate fatalities, there there are some benefits available there as well. Now. Uh, the other thing that makes uh, these pileups uh, interesting from kind of an insurance analysis perspective is the involvement of the transport trucks. Because we talk about no-fault benefits, and we talk mm-hmm. about benefits that, that meaning simply benefits that are available from your own insurance company. And in the typical situation, your insurance company just pays them to you, and that's the end of the day. Uh, they don't get reimbursed by anybody. they um, That's... Uh, the transaction cost, and it's a deal the government made with the insurance industry to try and take costs out of the system, so, mm-hmm. so they're not subrogating or trying to get the at-fault driver to reimburse them for those expenses, right. except in two situations. So, situation one is accidents involving motorcycles, and the other is uh, accidents involving heavy uh, trucks and equipment like a transport truck. Okay. So, so how's it different? So in that case, there's things going on behind the scenes that people aren't aware of, and it's called loss transfer. So uh, if it's determined that uh, this uh, one of these trucks are 100% responsible for the accident, then what would happen is uh, the people in the 14 other or 13 other vehicles in this accident would make claims to their own insurance company. And then behind the scenes, they would submit to the insurer of the truck at fault for reimbursements for any amounts that they paid to uh, their own insureds. Okay. So it can get very, very expensive in an accident yeah, like yeah, this I guess. Uh, for the insurer of, of the transport truck. And the interesting thing is all that happens behind the scenes. We don't even know about it. Uh, in terms of managing the claims, it, it can actually cause some complication for the lawyers because the person you're talking to is not actually the person that's paying the benefit, and that can uh, can lead to some complexity.
0: Is it normal that there would be a 100% um, responsibility uh, allocated, or is there sometimes percentages or different pieces?
1: Yeah, it... It really depends on the circumstances of how the accident happened. And in this case, I don't know. Yeah, Um,
0: But it could be in in different parts for different people.
1: That's right. There's actually fault determination rules, which, which you can actually go online. If somebody wanted to Google fault determination rules, it's a regulation. And I find it an interesting regulation because as part of the regulation, it's a little like... Pencil drawn picture, <laughs> <laughs> okay, of, of every conceivable type of accident scenario. All right, and so it draws a picture that literally looks like it was drawn with pencil about how an accident happened, yeah. and then it apportions fault between the vehicles depicted in the picture. If this
0: is you, and this is them.
1: That's right. Okay. And uh, property damage claims, like for your collision coverage, are determined by that. Gotcha. And also liability under these loss transfer provisions are determined according to that. It's kind of, I don't know, I find the pictures kind of interesting to look at just because it's like, this is a law. (laughs) This is a law book? Yeah, Yeah. and it's it's pencil drawings.
0: Nobody said lawyers were good artists.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They were drawn by bureaucrats. uh, (laughs) Okay. Which means they're probably better than I could draw, for sure. Um, So so it all happens... uh, behind the scenes and um, it uh, they do that because accidents involving motorcycles and large vehicles like transport trucks the injuries that can be caused tend to often be well out of proportion from what would be the typical accident
0: yeah right yeah. well this would be a good example of that
1: yeah this would be a good example especially when you're carrying hazardous material and things mm-hmm. like that yeah and and motorcycles I see you know far more frequently. And the reality is an an accident involving a motorcycle and a car, if that same accident, same dynamics had been between two cars, the injury to the person who was on the motorcycle almost always would be far, far, far less. Yeah, sure. So uh, it's a way in the insurance industry where they've said, hey, we're okay with this whole no-fault business, but we don't want to be on the hook for all these damages for for motorcycle claims if the accident was caused by somebody else. So it's just a bit of a redistribution of risk. But interestingly, in these kind of like 14-car major pileups, it's extremely expensive.
0: Oh, it would be absolutely astronomic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, depending on how the fault is determined, but if it was 100% against this transport truck, I mean, you're talking millions and millions and millions of of dollars likely in liability.
0: That could... uh that that could certainly uh, impede the future of a company you know at some point in time i mean that's a lot of that's a lot of money
1: yeah it is but insurance companies are doing all right yeah no no
0: i didn't i didn't i didn't necessarily mean that i mean you've got a you got a transport company as well who would be probably uh, difficult to Insure at the same rates I mean there you're not you're not going to have an insurance company that co- will cover you at the same rate say oh we'll we'll pay all these millions and millions of dollars it's just fine we'll renew your policy well, maybe not so much
1: yeah it tends to be more the incident of the accident as opposed to what the value of the damages were in terms of the underwriting risk but yeah. Uh, but yeah I mean it is a it is a big hit in those circumstances okay another part that people tend not to think about is property damage. So we mentioned this a couple other times, and when it comes to property damage for a vehicle involved in the accident, that's another no-fault benefit. Uh, so you submit that to your own insurance company. And that's pretty clear. There's no right in the province of Ontario to sue for property damage. Mm-hmm. You always have to submit that to your own insurance company. Uh, But in a case like this, and it also reminds me of that accident, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago on the 401, uh, that was similar circumstances where uh, uh, hazardous material blew up and Mm -hmm. caused damage to the 401. In this case, causing uh, this accident on Halloween caused massive damage to the the Highway 400. And uh, who pays for that? And in that case, uh, the... Road authority. So, for the highway itself, that would be uh, the MTO. They can submit a claim as against the person that caused the accident, and the liability coverage of the uh, of the transport truck. Assuming that they were the ones that caused the accident, uh, they could be be sued for the damages. Okay. Okay. Um, if there was any, if there was damage to adjacent homeowners and things like that um, they could submit that to their own insurance company and then their own insurance company may decide to subrogate and to seek reimbursement from that from the insurer of the uh, of the transport truck
0: what a web to un uh to, to, to play out over time. How long do these things usually take? Like, is, is, there, a, is there any sort of time limit? We had a texter ask a question related to this, too. Like, is, is there any, uh, it, or does it just have to play out over its own time?
1: This will take a very, very long time to resolve, because what happens is, first, fault is somewhat unclear, so everybody involved in that accident is likely going to be involved in the litigation either as a plaintiff or a defendant mm-hmm. and often as a plaintiff and a defendant because they'll be suing for damages. yeah I see what you mean. and yeah. someone else will be suing them for compensation because right. each ac- each car likely had an opportunity to avoid the accident would be the argument. okay and uh, and because of insurance liability limits, I mean there's going to be some limit on that transport truck probably about five million dollars which means everybody that was injured and every claim for damages has got to share in those available limits which means for practical purposes every claim that's advanced has got to be settled at the same time and they have to agree how to carve out the available money so you're talking years and years and years yeah yeah
0: okay um have we covered everything that yeah. you wanted to do? Did you have, did you have time to do the negligence part? Did you do that already?
1: Um, yeah. Well, in terms of in terms of negligence, uh, it there will be some incentive from a civil liability standpoint to try to find negligence on multiple parties. Mm-hmm. So, and the reason for that comes down to that um, limited liability limit issue. Uh, so, if there's only five million dollars on that transport truck. And if that transport truck is 100% responsible, then even if total damages are $10 million, once we add up everybody that was injured, it doesn't matter. There's only five available. So there's some incentive to try and find fault on somebody else, even if it's only 1%. Okay, uh, because that opens up the entirety of their insurance limits. So that'll be that's one of the things that adds to the complications. In that there's incentive on almost everybody involved in that litigation to spread the fault a little more widely than just pointing the finger sure. at one person.
0: Bringing this come uh, full circle uh, back to the beginning, uh, you talk, talk about the length of time of investigations. Uh, the the Roy Halladay uh, uh, crash. The the experts said it, it may take two years. before they've got that figured out. Now, there were no witnesses out over the Gulf of Mexico, so you can understand the investigation would be a little difficult, but that's a long time.
1: I've been involved in some uh, airline cases before, and it does take a long time. I'm not sure that I I don't understand the length of that
0: that delay. Maybe resources. Chris Richard, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Legal Matters comes back next Thursday at 1. GravesandRichard.com is the place to go.